0: So, my obeisances to all of you, and thank you so much for, uh, for joining our, uh, what do we call it, monthly ISKCON resolve meeting, M I R M. And we are, um, well, I'll be introducing him a little later, but we are very fortunate to have my good friend Robert Fisher with us today, um, and he will be uh, speaking to us in, in a few minutes. Mm. We'll begin as we uh, normally do with a few uh, statements from Srila Prabhupada. So here's a good uh, one. Uh, This is a letter that he wrote to a disciple. You have dedicated your life for Krishna and therefore you should be ideal. We are introducing the Krishna conscious movement for the harmony and goodwill of humanity. But if you yourselves are suffering from the very ills we are trying to remove, how can the people be influenced favorably? And then he has this uh, uh, short uh, and very direct line, stop this fighting, tolerate. <laughs> <clears throat> and then he uh, another letter that he wrote to one of his disciples, remember the story of Aesop's fables of the father of many children with the bundle of sticks. When the father asked his children to break the bundle of sticks wrapped in a bag, none of them could do it. But when they removed the sticks from the bag and tried uh, one by one, the sticks were easily broken. So this is the strength in unity. If we are bunched up, we can never be broken. But when divided, we can be broken very easily. And maybe one more. Let's see. Disunity between individual souls is so strong within this material world that even in a society of Krishna consciousness, members sometimes appear disunited due to their having different opinions and leaning towards material things. Actually in Krishna consciousness, there cannot be two opinions. There is only one goal, to serve Krishna to one's best ability. If there is some disagreement over service, such disagreement is to be taken as spiritual. Shila, so um, today, now I want to re- re- remind you all that, uh, oh, and we have uh, Brahma Tirta Prabhu with us, the co-director of uh, ISKCON Resolve, known as Bob Cohen to Robert and uh, many of us, and he's here.
1: Uh, uh, only for 30 minutes, then I have to, as you might guess, mediate.
0: Yeah, okay. Lame excuse, but we'll accept it. <laughs> Thank you for for joining us. And thank you for all the 63 of us. And I'm sure it'll keep going up. The numbers will keep going up. Um, I want to remind you that if you want that if you want to ask a question or make a comment, uh, please take advantage of the chat feature or raise your hand. And uh, we, we will try, you know, we want this to be interactive. Uh, At times, I'm not sure uh, how Robert will do that during his presentation, but when I'm uh, giving reminders of ombuds and mediation processes and some of the uh, presentation that I'll be making, um, please to um, make that, um, uh, take advantage of either the chat or raising your hand. No problem. Uh, let's see what other uh, announcements or things do I have to make before we begin. Oh, we are hoping that at uh, six fifteen Indian time, that His Holiness uh, Gopal Krishnamurti will join us. That's uh, that's the hope, and uh, we look forward to that as well. So, Robert, would you mind if we start a little early with you, and we get going? Okay. Then, if you don't mind, I'm going to spotlight you, and I want to. uh <laughs> yeah, I know it's scary when you get spotlighted. I want well, it's to be to myself too. Yeah, I know you. Yeah, I'm like about. double
2: imaged on myself.
0: Oh, really? <laughs> so I did send around Robert's um, uh, his uh, brief resume, but I will just add to this that um, so Robert has a degree in law. And I think like, uh, like uh, my other uh, mentor, um, he's never uh, practiced law in his life very much, right? No, <laughs> he, I did. Oh, you did? Oh, too bad, <laughs> right. But in, in many years, uh, recent years, he's been in, in our field in conflict resolution. I had the pleasure of working with Robert for about 10 years in, in, my, in our jobs in the uh, United States government. And he's a um, he's a brilliant uh, speaker. He's he's a brilliant mind, and and he has very kindly on several occasions helped out with uh, ISKCON conflicts. Uh, and uh, Bramatirtha can uh, uh, speak to this that he 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 dedicate, he donated tens and tens and tens of hours to. Uh, one very complicated conflict that we were dealing with, actually two of them, uh, complicated conflicts, including one about the, uh, the editing of Sheila Prabhupada's books that I'm sure we are all aware of. Um, and it's very kind that uh, Robert has agreed to speak to us today and Robert, uh, take it away. Thank you very much, Brian.
2: Um, it is a little odd to be i can't see anybody else do you and want me to I can, yeah could you because let will spotlight
0: be? you and then people if you have it uh if they have it on um they can pin me yes they can pin you yes because or they can, I'm just yeah. gonna
2: watch myself talk which is really strange there you go okay hold on one second
0: also under the view feature you can in the top right under the view feature you can pick speaker, and then you'll see whoever's speaking. Right, exactly. Thank you.
2: That makes it better, because now I feel like I'm part of a larger group rather than me sitting, talking to myself in front of a mirror. (laughs) Yes. Um, uh, Although sometimes I'm the only one who'll listen to me. So I uh, uh, am honored to be with you this morning uh, and this afternoon and this evening, depending on where you're located. Uh, I'm also aware that we're recording so that there will be possibly people who will um, view this afterwards, and, uh, and so um, uh, I uh, uh, have enjoyed my, my friendship and time with Brian and, and Bob and my work with ISCON, and so today is... Uh, is important to me to be with you. I'm going to do two things today. Um, and I, um, I probably have to end by about a quarter past the hour. Um, partly because I have, um, I have to take one of my cars into the shop. Um, and, uh, and you know, you got to get it in line. So I got to get it there early enough. So the two things I'm going to talk to you a little bit about how I came to do conflict resolution work. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is that uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what's been uh, capturing my attention about conflict resolution recently, um, uh, and uh, and maybe we'll do a little uh, exercise depending on if we have if we have time. So. Um, I uh, first of all, the, the bio that Brian sent around about me is um, uh, is my uh, is for my current job. So it's on the Internet site of the federal court in D.C. It's very much directed towards the participants uh, to the judges and the lawyers who are engaged in the mediations that I do, and so it's um, it's not a multi dimensional view of my experience. Um, and uh, so I, um, as I as I said when Brian was introducing me, I did practice law for uh, for quite a while, and I um, I worked for the federal government right out of right out of law school. Uh, and then I was in private law practice for a number of years, and uh, then I kind of took a turn to do conflict resolution work, which I'll come back to where that turn, what that, what, how that turn occurred. And, uh, and then after that, I uh, uh, worked in a, a nonprofit dispute resolution organization, both as the organization's lawyer and as a mediator. Uh, now I don't practice law at all, and um, uh, I just uh, give people personal advice, not legal advice. Um, and so I was practicing law, and like many of you, um, I was drawn to this work. Some might call it a calling to do the work. I don't know. You can judge for yourself. Um, and I had a moment when that notion of doing this work, uh, and as it, not as a calling, but just wanting to pursue this work, became clear to me, and uh, and I've been working to realize it uh, in many different ways, in many with many different, um, in many different situations and settings, and uh, with lots of different people, mostly in the U.S., a little bit internationally, mostly in the U.S., uh, primarily because. Um, uh, I don't speak any language other than English, and I have a hard time understanding people in English, so I figured it would be really super hard to understand people in a, uh, being translated in a foreign language to me. Um, so I, uh, I went to law school um, to do good in the world, basically. I'll just kind of capture it like that, and uh, and I can explain more or less about this and about the work I've done. Uh, and so you should feel free to ask me questions at some point point. Um, and trying to do good in the world propelled me through college and uh, much like music did uh, to get me through uh, and graduate high school um, and so I came out of law school I worked in the federal government for a few years and then I went into private practice and um, maybe some of the people who have legal background or were lawyers now or before might, uh, um, identify with this. I got very frustrated at the legal work I was doing. Um, and, um, uh, I got a little cynical about the legal work I was doing. And, um, and so one day, one day I, um, I walked into a colleague's office, uh, and I was in a I um, I worked, um, Unexpectedly, I was working in a very large um, New York-based law firm that had offices all over the world, and um, and it was a money-making machine. Although it did do some good in the world too, but it was primarily a money-making machine. And uh, I walked into a colleague's office, and she had her head buried in something on the desk, and I said to her, "Like I said, well, what are you doing?" Uh, because we were supposed to go out to lunch, and, and she said, I'm mediating, and I was, hmm, what's that, and so she explained it all to me, in about five minutes, she told me what she was up to, and how, and so I, you know, and how she was doing it, and where she learned how to do it, and she got done, and I looked at her, and something snapped, and I said, that's for me, how can I do that, and so, since then, I've been pursuing um, doing that, and that was in 1990, and, um, and so the first thing I did was I became a, um, uh, a volunteer, which is how she started back in that day. That's pretty much how everybody started because there weren't many career paths to do it. There weren't many organized efforts to be able to do it. So I became a volunteer and I joined the program at the federal court that I now run. Um, uh, And uh, that's a whole separate story. Uh, Took me my whole career to get the job I have. Um, And and then I looked for, for work, and at that time, the advice to, to uh, people who wanted to do mediation, particularly lawyers, was, oh, you should find a way to do it in your uh, law firm, because you know, you're already in the law firm, and there's going to be lots of opportunities to do it. And so there were about 100 partners in my law firm at the time. Uh, there were 100 partners, and 700 other lawyers. So it was heavily weighted through the partners. And, uh, and so I looked around and there were, there were two people in my law firm who were, who were doing conflict resolution work. One in my office in DC, uh, who was doing, um, uh, um, kind of international dispute resolution work only because it was related to international trade law. And, um, and so I started working with her a little bit. And then I looked around and there was, there was a partner in, the, in Texas who was, who was doing it. And, um, and so I reached out to her and uh, I uh, offered like any kind of uh, person seeking an apprenticeship or a mentor, I offered to do anything to be able to work with her and to be able to learn how to do the work. And I went through this long impassioned plea uh, and she, I got to the end and she said, no, forget it. I'm not doing that for you. Piss off. <laughs> and um, so uh, shortly after that, I found my first conflict resolution job. And, um, and and I've been at it and fortunate to be at it for the last 30 years or more. Um, and, uh, and as, um I'm sure some of you or many of you have experienced it can be very very rewarding work uh, and it can be very disappointing and frustrating work and uh, and uh, in part uh, sometimes in some very few times and I've looked for opportunities for it to be transformational work and to be working at a level that, is beyond transactional work. uh, And uh, that has um, both a uh, uh, a let's get things done, let's resolve the disputes, uh, but let's do it in a way that deals humanely with the people and the things that we're dealing with that even sometimes has had um, a spiritual dimension to it very rarely. Uh, in my work. And um, I've worked on many things that have had multi-generational disputes carried from over from one generation to another. Uh, I've worked on large projects and small projects. I've worked on um, uh, many public projects where I've mediated in public forums in large groups. Uh, and I've been fortunate. And, um, and I am uh, in my current role um um, determined to provide opportunities for other people who want to uh to to do the work and so and i support people all the time uh in doing the work because i believe in its importance and i believe in its personal value to both the people who do it and for the people who are uh benefit from people who do it so that's my story and, um, and I've been at it for all this time. And I encourage you to keep doing it and keep looking for ways to do it and to keep um, developing your skills. Because as I tell my group of uh, 100 or so volunteer mediators that work with me at the court, uh, it's a learned skill. And the more you do it, um, the better you are at it. So I'll stop there, see if anybody has any questions about my uh, origin story as a mediator, so to speak.
0: <laughs> Not you, Brian. No, I, well, <laughs> I may ask a question on behalf of others. But.
2: Oh, okay, okay, okay. You're okay, Mr. <laughs> Facilitator, Brian. That's fine.
0: <laughs> um, did someone just put? Oh, uh, no, we're just in the chat. We're talking about uh, cases that last intergenerationally, and India, yeah. you find it. Uh, common somebody just said that the one case just resolved after 40 years yeah there you go um
2: and so you know what that's 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 a really pretty good segue into um some of the other things I'm going to talk about so I'll just kind of launch into it and then um um one of the things that um uh sparked my interest over time and um about Conflict resolution work is that uh, I've gotten very, very interested in in how people think, how they fight for what they uh, want or believe in, and uh, and how they make decisions. Because ultimately, bringing people to um, uh, make decisions or imagine a different future or a different relationship is can be part of the work, and sometimes that's taken me. And recently, it has taken me into 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 um, considering the uh, role of emotion in in conflict management and conflict resolution. Because sometimes resolution is not the objective; it's how to uh, how to manage the conflict. And so, uh, I don't usually uh, categorize people uh a long time ago i i I read a really interesting biography of um one of the guys that uh, was one of the original monty python uh group uh, (laughs) some of of them will not
0: know who monty python is i know but
2: it's um but for those of you who do anyway um uh he was a very troubled youth and he ended up um being consigned (laughs) because he was uh troubled to a, uh, a Jesuit monk and he had a lifelong relationship with that Jesuit monk and he talked a lot about him and the book was really a lot about both his relationship but also about the, the, um, uh, the guy. And anyway, that guy said that uh, there are two types of people in the world. People who categorize people and people who don't. <laughs> and, um, and so I've kind of followed that However, within the last few days as I was trying to think about what I was going to do with on the on this session with you, I I was um I was watching the uh the um the crazed uh sporting event in the US known as March Madness uh which is basketball, college basketball teams all competing with each other and one of the coaches of the uh, one of the uh, higher ranked basketball teams, said um, something that, that might be of use to you as conflict resolvers or peacemakers. Um, and I thought I would pass it along even though it does categorize people. Uh, and so he said that there are three kinds of people in the world. There are people who don't want to fight. There are people who want to fight. And lastly, there are people who are looking for a fight. Hmm. And I realized as he was saying that, that you will encounter those three different types of people in the work you do. And I'm sure there are lots of different ways that we could categorize people, but just stick with that one for, for our purposes today. Right. And so Coincidentally, I've also been reading this book about. Uh, it's called Emotional: How Feelings Shape Our Thinking, and it's it's working really hard to try to say people try to separate their emotions from their rational thought, and uh, and mostly we try to uh, pursue rational thought and rational decision making. But really, emotions are are at the sort of under the surface of. Of, of what we do and that emotions are there uh, sometimes um, uh, as bodily sensations. Sometimes they play a part in, uh, in uh, provoking actions. Um, sometimes we're conscious of them. And I, I say more or less because some of it is, yes, everybody's conscious of their emotions. Well, that may be true, but they don't always understand it or recognize it. Sometimes it takes me uh, a long period of time to figure out what that emotion was from a week ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the emotions are out ahead of me. And, or sometimes people stuff their emotions, as they say, which is to say, they um, don't acknowledge them or Pretend that they're not happening. Plus, emotions, uh, in in a uh, cultural sense, also send social signals, right? So, so it's possible to um, read people's intentions by what they're or what what is happening with them by their social signals. And there are lots of other things that emotions represent. And so, I I realized. In part of my work, I used to, and I still do actually, um, get mediators. I get people to agree on me, different mediators, not me, but other mediators, to do their work for them. And um, and sometimes those selection processes have been public. And I have um, I've noticed in those things that we approach it from a very um, rational perspective, like what's the what kind of skills or experience should the person have what's kind of what's the criteria for the person and then we run through the criteria and that's had a whole different effect on the field which i can talk about probably some other time but anyway uh having worked with many groups to pick mediators here's what i know that um uh they pick first and then they figure out what the reason was that they picked that person and uh, and so, to me, they're picking at some kind of intuitive or emotional level, or they're using head, heart, and um, and uh, gut to make their decision, uh, and then their head is catching up, uh, and they make a ra- they make a rational explanation for what is essentially an emotional decision. So, let's try a little exercise, uh, if you will. So. I'm hoping all of you are uh, open to doing this. Nobody's gonna call you on it. Uh, and I see somebody has a hand up. So maybe I'll pause before the exercise. And Brian,
1: maybe you okay. can help Okay, Sumitra, go ahead. Uh, uh, Hare Krishna, here Robert. I see in your introduction, you had mentioned this uh, one term called Office of Collaborative Action and Dispute Resolution. ADR. I think I'm I'm hearing this for the first time, India.
2: Yeah, that's the same office that uh, I worked with Brian in when we were both um, working at the same part of the federal government. Uh, And it was intentionally named by that, by the person who designed the office um, uh, to address the both, as I said earlier, the conflict management part as well as the conflict resolution part, um, because you know, conflict can be good. It can be a good thing. It can it can advance things. It can generate new ideas. Um, and there's always a tension between, um, in some way, more or less, between cooperating and competing. Uh, and that uh, office was designed to acknowledge that collaboration is just as important as dispute resolution. Is
1: mm-hmm. there any opposition from the lawyers, feeling that they will lose their job? Like,
2: so uh, that uh, yes, to some extent, but in the uh, in the area of legal conflict resolution, meaning. Um, Things that involve uh, legal issues, whether it's litigation or, or, um, one time I tried to uh, when I had my own practice, I tried to um, to uh, work on in in a family environment where people were making decisions about um, uh, their trusts and estates, right? And and a lot of times that engages in dealing with future generations and the generational disputes and all kinds of stuff but I couldn't do it because I was not a trust in estate lawyer and the trust and estate's lawyers kept saying no we do this go away we don't need you go away and um, uh, however uh, in the u.s at least the um, the lawyers have um, have kind of um, co-opted uh, legal dispute resolution so many of them, Say their practice is to uh, is to be mediators, uh, and they almost always uh, will only hire uh, lawyer mediators to to do their work. And some of the most uh, experienced and successful and gifted mediators I know are not lawyers. Big mm-hmm. surprise. Um, As so, yeah, so uh, the that 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 feeling that. ADR was going to, particularly for lawyers that do litigation work, uh, has subsided because the lawyers have
0: co-opted it. Yes, and and Robert, one of my jobs, not jobs, one of my challenges when I was living in India and working in uh, the, to introduce mediation into the court system was lawyers thinking that they were going to, you know, lose money and trying to make them you know pacify saying listen if you take the training and you become famous as a good mediator you 'll get more business now i 'm a little concerned if you only have uh, if I understand twelve more minutes, so should we do the exercise
2: yeah let 's do the exercise i i it, I could go a little bit longer, but mm-hmm. quarter past the hour is my target right so so um, so let 's try this so um, i uh, whatever I, um, so I would like you to kind of put yourself in a comfortable position, wherever you're seated or standing or however you are. Just put yourself in a comfortable position, and uh, and um, and kind of take a couple of nice deep breaths. You know, like nice, nice inhales, and and uh, and then, uh, as they say. Um, uh, in with the good and out with the bad. So just kind of get yourself into a nice, relaxed state. And then we're going to talk about anger. And so I want you to uh, think back, right? So you're going to use your uh, conscious brain to think back to um, a situation, a recent situation, or a uh, it, it could be one in your uh, long ago uh, uh when you were angry and so and then kind of like pick out a situation and and really kind of think about what, where was i what was going on in that situation you know was it what time of year was it so just kind of like get yourself like to remember this situation and then really focus on on what were you like When you were angry, what did you do? Did you get up on a stage in front of millions of millions of people and slap a guy? Um, Did you? How direct were you in your anger? How forceful were you? How in control of yourself or out of control of yourself were you? Did that anger help you in some way or help the situation in some way? but just take a moment to reflect on, on what you do when you're, when you're angry. What are you like when you're angry? And so now let's shift gears a little bit and, and now put yourself or, or uh, remember uh, a situation in which you were in, it could be as a as a mediator or in a conflict resolution situation or otherwise, in which other people were angry, wow. and um, and so then again, just kind of really ground yourself in in the setting of that, what was going on, what was the situation you were in, and then reflect on how did you react. to to another person's anger or to somebody who was angry in a way that uh, that, uh, either made you feel uncomfortable or where you felt like you could deal with. Okay. So my purpose in doing that is that here's what I know from my work um, uh, in lots of different situations. And oftentimes um, with others, right? So co-mediating directly with people is that people have different uh, ways of expressing anger and they have different comfort levels with it. Sometimes people get triggered by people's anger. Sometimes they avoid people's anger. Many times in, the, in a legal setting, the mediators attempt to shut it down. Uh, and, uh, and it can be expressed in many, 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 many different ways. So, so let's, um, if this works, we could have some people talk a little bit about um, um, situations in which you've been in where people have gotten angry uh, in whatever way, right? Because, because being angry can also be, um, um, governed by, I'll say, uh, uh social or social expectations or, 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 um, or, um, ex- uh, yeah, I guess social expectations is, a, is an okay way to say it. And so, um, so, so, If people are willing, so yeah, I see somebody has their hand up. So tell us a little bit about either what you experienced while we were doing that little exercise or kind of what you realized about how you or others deal with anger in a conflict situation. So Brian, you'll call on people,
0: right? Yeah, this is uh, Madhupati from Hungary. Go ahead, but go off mute.
3: Uh, I'm not talking about when I got angry because it was when I was 12 years old, and uh, I think that was the last time I got really angry. However, and uh, in uh, 1989, I was with uh, a <clears throat> just after the the change of the economic and political system in Hungary. I was with a uh, with a uh, then big eight remember those days, big eight accounting firms? I do. Now, there are big four, hardly, hardly four. But anyway, one of the big eight. And uh, my job was to issue, uh, how would I say, a seaworthiness opinion about uh, the credit card system of a new bank. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, opining on a system is very, very awkward. So there is very little that you can actually put to paper. And uh, but that that new bank had a very very young and very ambitious and very <clears throat> raja rajasik uh, CEO, and when he saw my my report, he started shouting, and he was calling me names. And uh, and at that moment, I was as calm. I got so calm because I knew that I was right. If he's shouting, there is a saying: the one who shouts is wrong. Is in the wrong. <laughs> So I was, I was, I just, I just stick with this, and uh, when he let me speak, I explained wh- why I wrote what I wrote, and right. that was good enough, good enough for the seaworthiness of his card system. But I cannot, cannot say anything more.
2: <laughs> yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, uh, sometimes when people shout or yell, uh, other people shut down. Sometimes they kind of shout back in their own way, but sometimes it has the effect. So, so you worked it and uh, sounds like you stayed calm. And um, and that's a really important um, uh, way of dealing with it, particularly where it's arising with people not directed at you, but at other people in a conflict situation. Thank you.
3: At that well, time, I was not yet a devotee, sorry, not yet a devotee, but I was a very devout follower of, of uh, epictetus. And uh, you see, uh, he teaches, he taught that if, if someone uh, takes away, say, your, your coat in the, in the bath, then you lose your coat. But if you get angry, then you also use your calmness. Nobody wanted to take your calmness. So you right. just sacrifice your calmness without any, any reason.
0: Right, right. Thank you. Right. Thank yeah. you. Oh, go ahead, Robert. Uh, no, so that's right.
1: Rishi Kumar from uh, Delhi, New Delhi. Krishna. evening uh, to you, Robert, from here. I guess it's morning for you. Yes. Um, I, had a, I had a very recent experience about 10, 10 days back. where there is this uh, very senior uh, member of our society. He was scheduled for lecture and for a certain very strategic reasons, I had advised the local management uh, that they were to decide not including in the speaker's list that day. It may be better for a certain reason. And for whatever reason, that person didn't tell him all that. He just took my name and said that Rishi Kumar said that your lectures shouldn't be scheduled. And so this person, <laughs> he's like, I'm, he's in the movement for at least 20 years more than me. And you know, there's a certain pecking order that's there in every society. So he's uh, he just let it rip. And uh, it, it, as I say, the sauce and everything came. And uh, so what happened was, my first response was to instantly flare up because I just said, why are you chastising me? That was my first question. It's like, you may call it as indignation, but yes, I, I mean, I kind of lost it a little bit. And honestly speaking, I had this sudden burst of self-righteousness that, no, I shouldn't get angry. Two, if I have to, uh, frankly speaking, Prabhuji's is uh, Brajabhari, Brian's uh, uh, training has also helped. And, you know, then you have this feeling that then you start asking questions and try to look at some, try to make him or himself arrive at solutions. But here, the to cut to the chase, what really happened was that I realized that i was more relieved that i redirected his anger at somebody else than at me so that's how it ended and that kind of made me feel very very guilty uh, I, mean, like, yeah. I went off unscathed i went off unscathed but somebody else got this sauce
2: somebody else got it yeah yeah <laughs>
0: yeah yeah thanks for sharing that i'll just uh, tell you should, should i tell you briefly robert two things uh sure yeah so the first time i pretty much did a mediation. It was in Tirupati, a sacred area in South India. And it was, um, anyway, it was a total disaster. It It was a group mediation. And at one point, about 10 people barged into the room and they were upset that one of the people on the other side was actually not only a party to the conflict, but was also a lawyer. And for some reason that really, anyway, it, 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 it was at a hotel conference room and the conflict spilled out into the lobby with people yelling at each other and things. And my reaction was all about myself and that, oh, they're gonna think that I'm a terrible mediator and this is my first job and no one's gonna ever wanna do mediation again in this society. And it was all about me you know, and, and, and reputation. And then, then I, you know, fast forward 20 years later, and now, now I find that I'm, when, when um, I learned this actually from my wife, who was a school teacher, that when people yell, the, an, a, a, a neophyte uh, school teacher tries to out yell them, but a more seasoned one just quietly says, calm down, calm down. And so I actually by, I find that by remaining calm and not, not, you know, not affected by their, their anger at each other, it changes the situation.
2: That's a valuable piece of advice and and uh, skill to have, right? To remain calm while other while other people are raging around you, and more or less,
0: right? I learned that from you.
2: Yeah. Um, uh, thank you for that. Um, Uh, so, uh, I am drawing close to the time when I'm going to leave you and I want to, I want to do two, two more things. One is that, um, the that book that I mentioned that I'm reading has a series of what are called, uh, emotional profiles in it. And, um, and so I, um, I, I, I haven't really looked at them that closely, and I'm still sort of reading the book to figure out if there's any value in it or not. However, I thought that it might be useful uh, to, um, to engage you in some of that. And so um, I sent uh, Brian uh, copies of these emotional profiles, and, uh, and he's going to uh, distribute them to you. Uh, so, just a couple of kind of caveats about them. First of all, you know, it could be just a US or Western perspective on uh, emotions. It also could be, uh, okay, so I see there's a question about the book. It's called Emotional How uh, Feelings Shape Our Thinking. And the, the author is Leonard Moldenau, and it's spelled M L O D. I N O W. And uh, as I said, I, 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 I'm not sure there's value in it. He says it's all scientific, but I'm not sure it is. Um, in any event, these emotional profiles, you should just take them for what they are. They may not fit for what you, what you, uh, what your needs are, or to, to kind of get a different perspective on yourself or how you deal with other people. Uh, and there's like four or five of them. Uh, they may not translate well from English into other languages, I don't know, but I offer them to you as uh, uh, to see, um, you know, maybe that you'll find some value in it in some way. Uh, the second thing I want to do is I want to leave you with some ideas about um, about um, kind of the the human dimension about um, um, conflict resolution. And some of this, uh, I'm sure you know in one way or another, and it's so if you do take it as a reminder, if it's any of it's new to you, uh, then treat it as something you can explore. <clears throat> uh, excuse me, my attention is a little diverted. Um, we have a brand new young dog living in our house and uh, uh, he's come to join me for today and he's um, looking for something to do that he's not supposed to do. Um, So anyway, so here's one thing, and and this has been mentioned, I guess, in some ways by having me talk a little bit, and at least one other person talk about intergenerational dispute, is that um, uh, people have very long memories uh, and they transfer those memories from one person to another. And those memories, particularly of negative experiences um, carry forward. People oftentimes have more sharper experience, sharper memory of negative experiences than they do of positive experiences. Um, it should also come as no surprise that the number one conflict resolution technique in the world is avoidance, <laughs> and. Um, and humans, as well as other creatures, but humans assert power over each other and the planet in many different ways, uh, sometimes subtle and sometimes overt. And oftentimes um, the, uh, the struggle for power uh, is an underlying thing That that is fueling the conflict that you're dealing with, Um, and um, the other, the last piece I'll give you is that um, long-term thinking is hard for most humans, and um, and trying to real and get beyond the immediate to understand uh, the implications uh is not that is not that easy even when you're supposed to do it and so i leave those with you as a way to kind of think about how those arise in in your in your conflict interactions Um, the uh, the last piece i will i'll share with you is that um one of the most common negotiation strategies as well as just useful in many different ways is what's called tit for tat (laughs) which means that uh, if you do something to me, I do it back to you. And, uh, And that can be if you do something positive to me, then you're likely to get a positive response back. And if you do something negative to me, you are likely to get a negative back. And in some ways, because mediation work is about is has components of being a negotiation process, uh, and people negotiate differently in different circumstances and different cultures and all over the world. Um, uh, tit for tat is uh, it's important to watch out for that and to help people send positive signals and uh, create the expectation of getting a positive signal in return. So, with that.
0: So Robert, we wanna thank you so much uh, for taking your valuable time. And now just see, you have um, lunch invitations to all over the world. If you go to Hungary, if you go to Italy, if you go to Taipei, all over Canada and America and all over India, we would. everyone here on this call would be more than happy to uh, host you when you come to uh, their place. So you've made, uh, you've made 71 other friends today. And That's great. Well, I hope
2: they're better at paying off than you and Bob are.
0: <laughs> I always promise them lunch and I uh, <laughs> it really happens. <laughs> but thank you so much. Yes, he, thank has you to, he, has to,
1: he has to fly through Delhi if he has to come to India.
0: Yes. Yes, he I'm gonna to to come visit.
2: sometime when Brian is there.
0: Okay, there you go. He's gonna visit. Yeah. All Take right, you. bye
2: everybody. Thanks for having bye. me.
0: Thank I you. I enjoyed it. So thank you all. Uh, Robert um, has he would normally charge three hundred dollars an hour for what he's done, and he, in this one case that was over that involved over two and a half million dollars of Iscon money, he probably worked I don't know a hundred hours, and and he got great association. He he was he was associating with uh, with. Um, uh, Devamrita Maharaj, Romp- uh, Rompad Maharaj, uh, Radhanath Maharaj, um, Hangsarupa Prabhu, like, you know, uh, like five or six or seven sannyasis <laughs> doing, uh, doing this uh, one um, uh, situation that actually eventually by his hard work and Brahmatirta Prabhu's hard work actually worked out well. It was the most, it was an unbelievably complicated case and uh it were it had to do with real estate and and loans from a wealthy uh donor and it was it was incredible and he he just stuck with it and also he um he helped a lot with the uh discussions that we had on the editing of Prabhupada's books uh when we had devotees from the bbt and some uh Prabhupada disciples who were very concerned with the editing and we met together here in washington dc uh, before the pandemic so he 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 he, he contacts me often and says well do you got an iscon case for me you know and he does it all all pro bono he does it all for free so um so i hope uh you found that uh helpful um yeah he, he and uh, he likes he likes devotees uh, thank you melody Davey for uh this beautiful reminder of how Prabhupada would sometimes deal with things. Srila Prabhupada would often allow an agitated person to go on by occasionally interjecting in a calm tone, are you finished yet? Then when their fuel ran out, he launched his offensive in very concise, specific terms. Yes, I know that happened at the last pandal that Prabhupada attended, right? There's a famous story. Um, and yeah and others, let me see if there's other questions that I should be answering on Robert's behalf. Um, Grayton, right? Grayton is uh, one of our ombudsman in uh, South Africa, and he writes in a multi general I think, do you mean generational? Grayton in a multi-generational?
3: Oh yes, multi-generational,
0: sorry, apologies. Yeah. It was generational. In a multi-generational dispute, how would you distinguish between emotion and psychology? I think there, you know there may be technical terms um but they're 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 similar and um you know because both deal with the mind and um uh maybe in next month's presentation i will i will make a presentation on this book uh called beyond beyond reason where um oh sorry i asked you to me um where he talks about the use of emotions, but let's look at it from a Bhagavad Gita point of view. And we've talked about this before, that a lot of our, a lot of people's emotions in a conflict, they're coming from, not from the mode of goodness. <laughs> let's just put it that way. <laughs> they're coming from the lower modes of material nature. And, you know, sattva sandhaya ganam when one is in the mode of goodness, one sees things more clearly. So at least we should be, very sattvic, and of course, very Krishna conscious, we should, we should, um, you know, do some prayer and some chanting before the mediation and really be, you know, cool, calm and collect as they say. And that rubs off on the people, the devotees in the conflict. And it really has a huge impact. It's kind of what, you know, Robert was talking about, you know, about, you know, what, 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 how do we react when other people are angry? and that that can have a, a a big effect on on um yeah just uh, you know they're, they're the way they see the world practically because you know the mode of goodness is we all have experiences in our own lives right <laughs> there's quite a difference between being sattvic and being rajasic and tamasic isn't it um and 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 also one of our jobs in in a mediation is to try to Help people develop some empathy from one another, and empathy is really developed in in guna You you can't really you don't give a damn about what the other person feels or thinks when you're when we're really deep in tamaguna, right? Like that. So um, I hope that helps, Uh, great. uh And let's see. Um, One devotee wrote me privately, it seems there may be two or more objectives in mediation conflict resolution. Now, two questions, how to recognize the objectives? How do we go about it? Uh, So often in a mediation, we will talk to people uh, ahead of time, individually, and, you know, ask some questions like, so what, what would you like, what would be a, like, if you had a magic wand, what would come out of this mediation? Or what would you like to see happen? And then maybe even ask them, so why is that important to you? And really try to get them sometimes clear on on what they want to see happen. Because sometimes, again, Rajas and Thomas create all kinds of unclear thinking. And and as Robert was pointing out, we're not even aware of the emotions we're feeling. We just, it just happens, you know? It's almost like sattvika bhav, but (laughs) a... a, uh, a, a, a perverted reflection of Sati Kabab, right? They say in, in, in Rupa Goswami says in Sati the that emotions of love towards Christian don't even go through the mind or the intelligence, right? They're just like that. So similarly, um, in, in a perverted way, we don't even think, oh, now I'm angry, or but our, our, our fists clench or our jaw gets tight, or we feel some, you know, you feel it in your body also. Right. And it's, and only sometimes in retrospect, you look back, whoa, was I overwhelmed by passion there? Um, and yeah, so helping people get clarity on what would be, because if, if we're overcome by Rajas and Thomas, sometimes we think, I just want to smash the other person and defeat them. But in sattva, you know, it's we think more clearly about what we want. Or, if we're talking about philosophical things, you know, uh, we refer again to Gita 1032, um, uh, that uh, Prabhupada talks about in the purport the distinction between Vada and Jalpa and Vitanda, right? Where Jalpa and Vitanda are basically just wanting to defeat the other person no matter what, whereas Vada is a dispassionate search for the truth. And that should be our philosophical debates, right? Not attached, not, you know, have a preconceived idea, sitting down with other devotees and calmly looking what the Shastra says, looking at what Prabhupada said, thinking time, place, and circumstance, and really searching in an unattached way for what, would, what is the right understanding. And we all know that we don't always do that in this time. <laughs> right? Yes, Chandrasekhar Maharaj. We're so pleased to have you here with us,
2: well, you know I'm a newbie, so uh, I don't know that much, but I was just curious about one item, and that is uh, what success rate does uh, mediation give? what do you experience? what does Robert experience you know um, and I guess it's it probably shades of gray i I'm sure that uh, sometimes you don't get how would you ca- characterize
0: that great great question so there's four. Possible outcomes of a mediation. Let me see if I can remember all four. Did <laughs> he put me on the spot here? Everyone agrees on all points. They agree on some points and disagree on some points. They don't agree, or it continues at a later date. You say, okay, let's have a follow up. So those are basically the four options. And I would say um, about sixty percent are full agreement another 10 to 15% are partial agreement and then the other uh 25% uh don't don't agree we we don't we didn't but generally speaking even um when when they don't reach a, a agreement there's generally some improvement you get to you know develop some appreciation for the other person's understanding or Or sincerity and things like that. Does that help, Maharaj? Yes, thank you. Yes, okay. Yes, Rishi Kumar Prabhu.
1: Uh Just because we haven't been, we don't meet so often as we used to earlier. I'm happy to to meet every
0: day if you want, Rishi Kumar (laughs) Prabhu. Go ahead.
1: Privilege is mine now. So I I just wanted to understand that uh, although we may engage a mediator in a situation where he has no conflict of interest and he is neutral and the parties themselves don't have an objection. But it may so happen that because it's gone such a close-knit family and uh, how does one suspend assumptions when you deal with a devotee mediation situation?
0: Yeah, so uh, great question. Um, as a mediator, I really try to uh, bring that out ahead of time you know, you know, let's say I was mediating between you and Chandrasekhar Maharaj, right? I would say, well, you know, Rishi Kumar, uh, you know, you've taken the trainings, you're helping with the organization, uh, you know, Maharaj, I want you to know that, I, you know, I've been working with Rishi Kumar now for the last two years. And, um, you know, and, and in this field, and that field, and and Rishi Kumar, I want you to know that, you know, I've also uh, done service sometimes with Chandrasekhar Maharaj and and appreciate how he's uh, performed such austerities uh, sticking out at preaching in New York City. But in this situation, I want to assure both of you that my service is to remain neutral. And, and even though, you know, we have some relationships and we can take prasadam together afterwards, but here uh, I will remain neutral. And if you ever get the any inkling that I'm not, you should uh, immediately uh, ask for a caucus and let's talk about it. Okay, so I I I try to even preempt it because, like you said, we 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 know each other so well. You know, we all know each other, and you know, in different ways. So it's good to really go take an extra effort in in an internal mediation to say something like that. Is that all right? Yep. Okay. Thank you. And uh, Man, Jula Mani, who I believe is in Germany. Yes, Montage.
4: Yeah. No, I just I because Robert he was giving this example of that you go and slap another person in front of millions of people, which just happened now at the Oscars. So uh, this situation is like for me, it's like completely uncontrolled anger in the moment, without any, without any uh, future thinking. What will be the reaction in the future? You know. So this is like a very, you know. If you get angry, the, the urge to control yourself, where does it come from? And how can one actually manage that?
0: Well, it's, it's interesting. For those of you who may not know, the, the, in America, they have the Oscars, the awards for the best movies. And um, one comedian made a joke about another uh, actor's wife. And that actor uh, went up on stage and slapped him. And it's interesting because the actor who slapped him is actually connected in Krishna consciousness, especially his daughter is, uh, works very closely with, um, with Kripamoya Prabhu's daughter uh, in music. So it's a little, a little embarrassing in that sense because he, he actually gave a whole talk about the Bhagavad Gita one time, <laughs> Will Smith. But anyway, um, where, so your question is, where does it come uh, to control that anger? Right? Uh, Yeah. Well, it's interesting because Krishna's, you know, because Arjuna asked the same question of Krishna, right? In uh, chapter three, verse 36. He says, what, you know, what is it that we're compelled to act in a way that we don't want to, as if forced to? And then Krishna says, kama aisha, koda esha raja buna So he said this comes from the mode of passion. And then the mode of passion, Degrades into uh, the mode of ignorance, you know, Kama Krodha. So, I guess from a Bhagavad Gita point of view, it's uh, trying to remember Krishna's instructions, trying to be sattvic, and maybe having good advice from others. Like it would have been great if someone would have told, you know, grabbed Will Smith and said, sit down, (laughs) don't do this, right? We in in one of our trainings, I think that we did, we talked about uh, what works, it was an exercise we did, that what works for you when you feel that you're being overcome by passion or ignorance, you know, and some devotees said they pick up their their, their japa mala, Uh, others said they go for a walk, others, you know, listen to a lecture or a kirtan, others say would just drown yourself in prasadam. Uh, you know, so it, it may be very individual, but it's actually, if, if we understand that the greatest problem, the greatest uh, obstacle in Krishna consciousness is Vaishnava parad. So, so then it's actually good to have a plan. What, what, if I'm about to offend a devotee, say something, do something against a devotee, what's my plan to stop myself from doing that? You know, and have a have a an exit strategy, as it were. Does that help at all, Mataji?
4: Yeah, it helps something, but but I felt that you know why did he do it? Because he felt he felt really offended. You yeah, know, I too. think I think her her hairdress was because of some chemo or whatever, some sickness, and he felt that it was so inappropriate that going up and hitting was actually the better thing. But but the point is. Um, sometimes you may feel offended, but the person who offends it doesn't intend it. You right. know, it was not that it was an intentionally offense, but you really he really feel hurt and therefore he, he felt justified. So sometimes you may feel offended, but but you have to really figure out was it intended and what would be the best solution now? Just to react or, or how to how to manage this. Okay.
0: yeah and, and it's interesting there's almost a parallel isn't there in in the nectar of devotion because he wasn't he was offended because his wife was insulted not because mm-hmm. he was insulted mm-hmm. right and we also know yeah. from krishna consciousness if we get insulted it's like well ram ram right but if someone mm-hmm. insults Srila Prabhupada, right or someone mm-hmm. insults a, a great devotee you know we actually are instructed to act like fire now generally mm-hmm. we don't cut people's tongues out because you know that <laughs> will cause uh other kinds of issues uh but it said that we either try to defeat them or we walk away right that's that's what um, but but it is it, it is somewhat parallel not you know if it, it, in the sense that we actually have a whole body of instructions what we should do if we're offended and what we should do if a great vaishnava is offended or krishna is offended so um yeah uh f- you know, one, one could just, one could say that his anger was quite justified, but how he expressed it, right? Imagine if he would have just stood up and said, I'm really feel greatly offended by, uh, by that joke about my wife. I, 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 I beg you right now to take that back. Can you imagine how he would have so many, everyone would say, oh, what a wonderful thing Will Smith did, you know, right? Yeah. And also, we also understand physical offense is the greatest, is the worst one, right? Uh, uh, the three levels of in your mind, uh, with your words and with your body and the whole lila with, uh, with uh, brigu. Yes, Bhaktarupa Prabhu. Yeah, I, I, I don't see so much connection between anger and, and Vaishnava Parad. Okay. I, uh, that actually, if we can train ourselves very, we should very carefully train ourselves to how to avoid committing Vaishnava parad, and even when we're angry, then we don't, then we don't fall into the, the trap of committing up I think that's a, an important. Uh, uh, there's a, there's a lot more Vaishnava parad going on than than uh, simple anger, and I, I think we have to train ourselves more to be very careful that we don't draw conclusions about others and, and state them publicly. Yes, yes, thank you for that. And, and as, in our training, we've talked about, right? Does anyone remember the number one cause of conflict in the world? It's one word, begins with an A? Assumption. Assumption, Assumption. Assumption. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, and when we make assumptions about other Vaishnavas, <laughs> We really have to be careful. And that's why we talk about the way to avoid assumptions is to be curious, you know, you know, Prabhu, when you were walking uh, into that liquor store, um, were you going to, what was the reason you were going in that liquor store? You know, and instead of saying, oh, I saw, you know, I saw Acharya Ratna walking into the liquor store the other day, you know, and I, I, I tell Rishi Kumar and Rishi Kumar puts it on the uh, ICC conference. And, and then we find out later that Acharya Ratna was uh, preaching to the person and he bought a set of Bhagavatams. <laughs> so yes, not jumping to conclusions. Now I did promise that I'm going to give you a very simple but incredibly effective process that you can use. You can use it um, in, a, in, a mediate, in a conflict between two people or in a conflict between 50 people. Uh, and I've done it, I've done it recently, and it's 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 not, it doesn't solve everything, but it's an amazing way to start a discussion. So um, let me see if it's still there on the whiteboard. Um, you see the whiteboard now? So you can just yeah. create a circle. I mean, it's the simplest thing in the world, right? Create a circle, either on a flip chart or on a whiteboard or on a blackboard or anywhere. And if it's in person, then you give out some uh, post-its, you know, these little sticky things, post-its, you know, this big, and you just ask people, on, uh, on the post-its, put uh, inside, you know, write down things that you think we agree we agree on, and one point per post-it, and, and then when you write that, put it, post it inside the circle, okay? very simple thing. And you give them five or 10 minutes to do that, you know, all the things that you think we agree on. And then now take the same post-its and the things that you think we have a dis- different opinion about and put that on the outside of the circle. Another five or 10 minutes and, and just one, one point per post-it. Very, you see, how it's simple. And then I would just uh, go to, let's say the whiteboard and I would you know, pull one out after another. And I say, yes, we all agree on this. And and go through the ones inside the circle. And then uh, go through outside the circle. And, okay, so we don't agree on this. We don't agree on that. You, you all agree that we don't agree on this. And then you have your agenda. And not only that, but indirectly, you have uh, focused first on what they agree on. And you see that, you know, we, we agree on a lot of things and and the tendency in, especially in Kali Yuga is, and we see this, right? Who do we have the greatest, the most intense disagreements with? It's the people that we, 98%, we agree with. Right? Right? Like we, we don't, do we have any big, big fights with the uh, Rudra Sampradaya or the, or the Sri Sampradaya, right? But, you know, sometimes another maf Mafsanyasi, ooh, right? <laughs> like this, right? Or, you know, or even in this kind where we, you know, maybe it's not even 98, maybe 99% we agree on. And we focus on that 1%. So by going through the inside of the circle first, it, 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 um, it has a psychological effect. And then, um, and then you know, sometimes it's just three or four post when you when you merge them all, because lots of times there's duplicates. Um, and then you have an agenda of what needs to be discussed. It's a very simple process, isn't it? But you'd be you'd be surprised at how uh, powerful it is. And again, if you remember, I know they're not they're only now getting a little bit more available in India, but the use of flip charts. And if you remember, I'd, I've spoken about flip charts, about how helpful they are, because when you're writing on a flip chart, it's like the problem is on the flip chart and it's not between the two devotees. Um, and so this adds even, this has that effect also, when they're, um, when they're putting, writing on the post-it, then posting the post-its on the wall. And any comments, questions, thoughts on that? Amazing. Very beautiful technique. Yeah, it's so simple, right? <laughs> it's so simple. It's, a, it's, just, it's such a simple process. It also, um, you know, when you have to write things down, it's different than just talking, 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 talking. You know, and, and you tend to be a little more careful about what you write down. I mean, many of you are probably too young to remember a time before email. But when you actually had to sit down and write a letter and you couldn't delete the words, you couldn't press backspace five times, you know, you actually were much more thoughtful about what you, what you were writing down. It was actually, it's actually, uh, it was an actual meditative thing, writing a letter to another devotee. What to speak of actually putting it in the mail. <laughs> But now you could just, you know, write something. Um, let's see. I did want to do uh, our general thing that I like to do, and that is um, um, briefly go through the steps of mediation and ombuds. But let me just look here. Srinivas Nitai Prabhu wrote: The general conception is that the law field is corrupt in the sense that justice can be purchased through power, money, documentation, and word jugglery if this is true is there hope through mediation and conflict resolution um it is even in america there's uh there was a book called justice truth and justice for none <laughs> and it was talking about you know if you can exp- uh, have enough money to hire a high powered lawyer um there is there is unfortunately some truth in that um and yes that would mean that mediation and conflict resolution can be a, a much better path of of really coming to a fair conclusion. The challenge is, and if you remember this, I said the hardest thing I find in mediation and ISKCON is encouraging both of the parties to attend it <laughs> that 's what I find the number one hardest thing and in the le- and in the sense that you 're talking about uh, Shuunivasni Prabhu is if one party thinks that they are going to win and they have more money or more influence than the other party or their, you know, their wife is the best friends with the judge's wife or whatever, um, then they may um, shy away from that. And also lawyers sometimes, um, in many parts of the world, they, they, they tell their client they have a very strong case, even if they have a very weak case. You've seen that, Rishi Kumar, Yes, <laughs> so um, so it's sometimes a little harder in the, in the court system, but w- the India is making, hu- America, in many parts of America and in Canada, they have, uh, before you go to a judge, they say you must try mediation. And there's a lot of uh, progress being made in India in that regards, so I'm not sure about other parts of the world. Um, Well, Sumitra Krishna Prabhu has written a book here. Uh, Often we find solid devotees that we know everything and all. Everyone must listen from us because we are devotees. But I realized after hearing last session expert, oh, that was uh, Sri Ram Panchu. And this session, Robert, speaking especially on anger made me feel that there are sattvic people around us and we can also listen from them and be benefited. Devotees must not be proud and think no need to listen from outsiders who may not be a devotee like me, wearing tilak, keeping sika, etc. I hope I am right in saying this, brother Bihari Prabhu. Yes, um, I don't listen to Robert uh, about you know what is a good diet. <laughs> I, I I assume he's not a vegetarian. I never you know whenever we have had, I always bring him prashadam, and he loves it. Um, but they can render service. Like I told you, I would say he's probably given a hundred thousand dollars. One one lakh dollars worth of free service to Prabhupada's movement. Free, never asks for a penny. Doesn't want a penny. Doing it. So yes, we can. We uh, we certainly can engage. Uh, we just heard about this great uh, got that's going to be built in Mayapur, and Devaki Nandan Prabhu got Sajan Jindal to help uh, influence that. So I don't know if I know Sajan. I've met him with deva kinanam prabhu and i he may he probably is a vegetarian he may not be a paka vaishnava in all sense i'm not saying he isn't i don't i have no idea but we engage people in, in krishna's service and and powerful people uh, yeah robert is you know he's humble and everything but he's actually the lead practically the lead mediator in america uh and he's very good at, it and he just donates his time and he doesn't think the other thing is he doesn't think anything bad about ISKCON just because we fight over the book editing or we fight over money he said it. he just said it. so so what so i guess devotees are also human beings <laughs> that's what he says so we 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 engage people carefully right we don't we wouldn't we wouldn't make uh, robert a temple president or <laughs> in charge of the Pujari department <laughs> but he, he yeah, you know, who, who knows what kind of blessings he's getting from Krishna for him offering this uh, this service? And Sri Ram also, Sri Ram uh, last last month has done done uh, many many things, uh, helped me out in many cases. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. So, so um, yeah. And uh, the other thing that I found, by the way, I won't mention any names, but I have found. Uh, that when I when I co-mediate with a non-ISKCON member, the devotees in the mediation behave themselves much better. <laughs> I see that every time. <laughs> every time, I did a mediation once in Juhu. I won't get into the details, uh, and I got um, uh, Pratmesh Popat, who uh, a friend of mine is a mediator, and I saw I was like. I walked into the mediation and everyone's on their best behavior. (laughs) Am I in the right room? (laughs) You know, like that. Okay, so um, let us briefly give you uh, reminders of uh, two processes that we've studied. So if you remember the mediation process, there is the uh, preparation, the room, the chairs, the lighting, the temperature—a separate room, flip charts if possible. Uh, this is, remember how old this is that I say, "Where is the telephone?" <laughs> uh, the opening statement, welcoming, the purpose of the mediation, the logistics, uh, what will happen, confidentiality, separate meetings, uh, getting their willingness to—I forgot—you know—all all those things. And then each person speaks uninterruptedly and make sure the other person doesn't interrupt them at that time. And you try to set a nice, I try to set a slightly friendly atmosphere, um, explain that they'll be listening. Each person takes turns, et cetera. And then they the exchange, they start talking to each other Um and we ask relevant questions, sometimes we summarize, we listen for their interests, not just their position, but their interests, the issues that they're bringing up. We try not to get them to go to solutions too quickly, because that can lead to a, um, not a thorough, a complete solution. And we do look for those golden moments, we call it, times when they, there's some understanding, some reconciliation, some remembrance of how we used to serve together nicely. And we note those down. And we at the end, we summarize. And we don't have to do this, but about 80% of the time we will call for separate meetings. And in the separate meeting, we remind them that this is also confidential. And we ask them, what would you like to talk about? Um, uh, or we might say, I wanted to talk about something you said. Um, and we we are understanding, but we still have to remain impartial. And, Sometimes I say, "Is there anything you want to tell me that you weren't comfortable telling in front of the other person?" <clears throat> and we check uh, what we're permitted to say to the other person, or we say, "When we go back, you just suggested a, a, you know, a possible solution. Would you be willing to make that offer?" Okay, and you can have a number of separate meetings. You can have one, two, three, or four. Then we then at, by this time we usually have a clear idea of setting the agenda. Now, if you remember in that, that circle that we talked about before, that's another way to set the agenda, right? By just what's outside the circle. But we summarize what we've heard so far, we list the issues, we get them to agree that if we talk about these two points or three points, that that's important and that would be, you know, solve the conflict. Um, and uh, then we, we talk about, uh, we go through each issue and we brainstorm possible solutions, right? Remember brainstorming, we just get them to come up with as many ideas as possible. And then after we do that, we evaluate and talk about the alternatives and see which ones may be a win-win that they both agree is, is workable. And then we may test the agreement by saying, well, now this would mean you'd have to uh, you know, um, give money uh, even during the hot season and you know the temple doesn't make a lot of money during the hot season or whatever. You test to make sure the agreement would actually work. And then we might write down the agreement. And then we actually write the agreement if there's going to be a written one and get them to agree that it's workable, that the wording is okay. And then we say our closing remarks, we wish them well. If there was some donation for our time, then, then we make a payment. Okay. That's mediation. And real quickly, because I want to be uh, respectful of your time, the ombuds process. Do I have it here? Oops. OK. Boy, an hour and a half goes by quickly, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, wait. Do we have till 930? No. <laughs> no, we end now. Right here, yeah, we end now. Sorry. I, I'm... <laughs> OK, so very briefly, the ombuds process. Uh, Arrange to speak to the person who contacts you. Um, hopefully that we do some advertising either in temple newsletters or a blast newsletter or working with the temple president or the uh, divisional council so people get to know about us. And how would we meet by Zoom, by phone, in person? You set the time and date. And then we say our opening statement and we explain about confidentiality. Uh, and the only exceptions if there was serious risk of harm or about child protection and that we're neutral and that we're independent Mm -hmm. at least in this role we're not part of ISCON management then we listen to them they talk we have good body language we show that we're listening sincerely we ask open-ended questions we use empathic listening we summarize um, and we're very patient with them and then we talk about their options sometimes we ask them to have a pen and paper or we put it on a flip chart. We ask them what options have they thought of to deal with the situation? Um, and what have they already tried? And then we add some options that we can think of, right? And then we talk, then we go over each option and the pros and cons of each option. And we ask them which ones do they think they are interested in pursuing? And then we talk to them, what would it mean if you pursue that option? What would you have to do, the implementation? And then we uh, discuss if they would like to have a follow-up meeting, we schedule that and we wish them well and say, Hare Krishna. So that's a little summary. Um, I want to be respectful of your time and I appreciate so many of you coming on for this call. And uh, next month we will uh, send out a reminder and I will work on some very, very special guests. Unfortunately, His Holiness Kopal Krishna Maharaj could not make it this, this time, but we will hope to have him uh, next time or His Holiness Swami. And we will um, plan on, uh, as, uh, have a really big shoe for you, a really great uh, uh, program again uh, next uh, in April. So thank you very much, Hare Krishna. Thank you very much, Prabhuji. Uh, for every time managing wonderful Thank cities. Thank you. And remember Great the circle. Buddha it's such an easy
4: Krishna, thing. Krishna. Yes, Prabhu. Yes. Yes. Hari, Prabhu
0: Ke. Bye. Bye. Bye.